John 3.16-21. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the verdict, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that it may be revealed that his deeds have been done in God. God bless and honor the reading of his word, and you may be seated. There are no absolutes. There are no absolutes. These are words that I've heard before. Years ago, in this church, there was a man, he was running things for a while here. He was running things for a while. And he used to teach this, and he used to say this over and over again. He used to say, there's no such thing as absolutes. But you know, this is not a biblical belief, actually. It's not a biblical belief at all. But many people believe this today. This is a belief that you hear a lot. You hear this philosophy. And with this philosophy, this belief tells us that you can think whatever you want. You can say whatever you want, and you can do whatever you want to. And the only absolute is one's own personal rules, own, one's own personal beliefs. That's the only absolute, which means you can do as you please. That's what it means. This is society's rules, not God's rules. And that's okay with some people, but that's not what God wants for us. And it's not the first time that society has done this. It's the first time that we as America has started to do this, at least completely and taken over. It's been done many times throughout the Bible. We've seen people do this. But folks, there are absolutes. There are absolutes in life. There are, and there are biblical absolutes, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The absolutes in life. The biblical absolutes. The godly absolutes. And the title of today's sermon is Absolutely because there are absolutely absolutes and absolutely biblical absolutes and absolutely godly absolutes. So absolutely is the title of today's sermon. So let's look at the word absolute. And what is the definition of the word absolute? Now there's a few, but the main definition of the word absolute means completely, universally valid. That's what it means. Completely, universally valid. It is the truth. I know what a lot of people like to say, my truth, my truth. Nonsense. There's one truth, one absolute truth, and we know that. You could tell people that it's my truth that this pulpit is not here. Okay, but if you put your head right down here and say there is no pulpit and slam it on there, you can say it's not here, but it's going to hurt. Even if it's not there in your own mind, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. What, what hurts you? I don't know. Well, you know what did. You know. There's absolute one truth, and you know it. So let's take a look. Today we know there's absolutely one God. Absolutely one God. 
Now, this belief is called monotheism. Monotheism. That's the belief in one God. And that is the truth. There is one God. Anything beyond that, if you believe that there is, and I'm talking about believing in God now, if there, anything that believing in more than one God throughout the world, there is a lot of this. In Greece, in Rome, in many places throughout the Bible, you see that there is polytheism. That meant believing in more than one God. And that was lowercase g, you know, lowercase g gods. You see it throughout the Bible. But believing in one God, the almighty Lord God, there's absolutely one God, monotheism. That's what we believe in. Absolutely one God, and there's only one God. We know him as the Lord. He is the Lord, Father God. In Hebrew, his name is Yahweh. He is Yahweh. And that's what we know him as. He also has another name, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. What does that mean? It means Almighty God. He's El Shaddai, Almighty God. Another name for him is uh, Adonai. Adonai. What does Adonai mean? It means my Lord. He is Adonai, my Lord. He's El Shaddai, Almighty God. He is Yahweh. So what does the Bible say about this? Is there one and one only God? Yes, absolutely. The Bible says over and over and over and over again. But I'm going to give you only a, a, a handful of scriptures to say this so that you know. So get those wonderful little pens out and pencils out and paper out. I love when I see wonderful people writing it down. Mostly women do I see writing this down. I know some men do too, and I'm so happy. I see Brother Kale out there and others start writing it down. I'm so happy. I'm proud of you all. You do it. It's great. Isaiah 45, 18. Isaiah 45, 18. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed, formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no other. One and one only. I know there's a lot of other beliefs, but we're not even going to go there because it doesn't matter. We could talk about fiction all day long, but I'm not going to. What's the point? Let's go to Deuteronomy and stay there for just a minute in chapter 6. In chapter 6, because you're going to be interested in this. In chapter 6, verse 13 through 15, it says this. Now remember, in Deuteronomy, the laws are being repeated by Moses to the Israelites, to the Hebrews. He's repeating the law, and he's talking to them about being obedient to the Lord and no other gods. Remember that. You remember one of the rules, the very first one, thou shalt have no other gods before me? Remember that? Okay. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 15. You shall feed, in fact, that was the first law. Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 15. You shall fear, fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods, or case G, after other gods. And the gods of the people which surround you. Remember, they worshiped everything. They would have worshiped a snail if you'd let them. Verse 15. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be inflamed against you, 
and destroy you from the face of the earth. Wait a minute, I thought he was an all-loving God. I thought that he was a God. Why would he be jealous if there's no other gods? Why, 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 why? There's no other gods? Then why is he jealous, Pastor? I don't get it. I thought you said there was one God. Explain, explain. Okay, I will. God is a jealous God because he wants us to be obedient children. He wants us to be obedient, just like your dad and mom. Don't want you coming home. They don't want the children coming home and saying, that, that father over there down the street is a better daddy than your daddy. You only have one daddy. Most should, anyway. And by the way, even if you have a stepdaddy, it's still not your real daddy. He might be the daddy in your life, but you only have one biological daddy. And we only have one father, God. And if you put other gods in your life above him, how dare you? That's your stepgod. And it shouldn't be any God before the Lord God. And God is a jealous God. He doesn't want you saying, that's my real God. You know what God wants to do? He wants to pull you over his lap and swat your little bottom and say, no, more of that. You be obedient to me. That's what he's saying. And by the way, stay in Deuteronomy 6. Let's go forward in Deuteronomy 6. Not only forward, but backward. Because, wait a minute, I thought you said there's only one God. That's right. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. There is one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, one, one God. But he doesn't want their hearts belonging to things that aren't even there. But, folks, our hearts belong to so many things. doesn't mean that they're really real. But, folks, sometimes our hearts can belong. I mean, I've seen people who've actually made a God out of being at a church. Now, it's great to go to church. But I've seen people who actually are worshiping the church itself and not the Lord. That's not good. Or the money that goes into the, the offering and not what the offering is going to, supporting the church that supports the Lord God and loves the Lord God and is obedient to the Lord God. We have to be careful where our heart is at, and God knows the heart. He knows all things. We'll get to that in a moment. And one other verse in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 4.35. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35. It says, to you it was shown so that you might know that the Lord, he is God. There is no one else besides him. One God. So there's absolutely one God, and that's it. And God is absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. He never makes a mistake. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. And that's what omniscient means. All-knowing. God is absolutely perfect, omniscient, all-knowing. Wait a minute, if God's so perfect, how come this world's so messed up? Because he didn't mess it up. We did. Through sin. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve for this because they chose sin when Satan distracted him and tempted him. We talk about this a lot because it's true. That's how everything went awry. Everything went into a muck, a mess. Remember what I've said before, many times before, but there was a sermon that I preached years ago. God made perfection, and man made a mess. And it's true. Mankind made a mess. Psalm 147, verse 5. Psalm 147, verse 5 says, Great is our Lord, and abundant in strength, his understanding is infinite. He's all-knowing. He's perfect. Omniscient. 
Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verse 4. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it fully. In fact, there's other versions that I like of this. It says, not a word can come off of my tongue, hasn't even come off my tongue yet, and the Lord God already knows what I'm about to say. And that's true. Now, I know some people have said, well, if God already knows what I'm about to say, then why should I even say it? Okay, well, that's stupid. I mean, just because God already knows what you're going to say and what you're going to do, why did he stop me then? Why should I even say Because it's about your heart. Praise him, because that's what an obedient child does. Well, if he already knows what I'm going to say, do it. Be obedient. And one last one for the absolute perfect, omniscient, all-knowing God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. 1 John 3, 19 through 20. By this we know that we are of the truth, and we shall reassure our hearts before him. For if, we, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows everything. What does God know? Everything. God knows everything. He knows all. He knows all. Okay. The next thing. God is absolutely all-powerful. He's absolutely all-powerful. There's not one thing that God can't do. Anything you can do, God can do better. God can do anything better than you. <laughs> That's exactly true. God can do anything better than you. No, he can't. Yes, he can. I'm telling you, God can do absolutely anything better. He's all-powerful. In other words, omnipotent. Omnipotent. God is all-powerful, omnipotent. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 21. Ephesians 1, 17 through 21 tells us, and it took me a while to find where to start on this, because I love Paul. But Paul had a way, and he wasn't the only one, but he had a way of going on and on and on, kind of like your pastor, but he had a way of going on and on and on, and not starting in a sentence, but just continuing, continuing, continuing. So I had a hard way of finding where to start. But it says in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 1, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, talking about the Holy Spirit now, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. That's you, the saints. The saved people, once you're saved, you're a saint. Verse 19, here we go. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power? Remember, omnipotent, all-powerful. What is the greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he performed in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And Matthew 19, Matthew chapter 19, verse 25 through 26. And it says to us, 
When his disciples, Jesus' disciples, when his disciples heard this, they were greatly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and, and said, With men it is impossible, but with God some things are possible. No, he didn't say that. He said what? All things are possible. And he said it again in Luke 1, 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing is impossible when you're trusting in the Lord. This is the point. Nothing is impossible with God if it's his will. That doesn't mean say, God, make me a loaf of bread and give it to me right now. Ooh, it's wonder bread. No, it has to be God's will, God's time, not yours. You're not God. He's God. And you're to be obedient to him. He's not to be obedient to you. He's not a genie in a bottle or in a Bible. You need to be obedient to him. He is all-powerful, omnipotent, and God is absolutely everywhere, all at once, all at the same time, through the whole universe, because God is omnipresent. That's what it means. Omnipresent. Where do we find that to prove that? Well, turn with me now to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, verse 24. And what do we find in Jeremiah 23, 24? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I do not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's everywhere, as someone said. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. He is in heaven. He's in earth. You can't get away from God. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. You can't get away from him. I've known people who try to hide from God. Can you hide from God? No. You can't hide from God. Proverbs 15.3. Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. You know, I know a lot of people who think, well, God doesn't watch over me because I do good. He's still watching you. He's everywhere. God is omnipresent, and he's with us. I, I don't know about you, but there's been times I think God must be ashamed of me. And that I'm sure it's true. There's been times he's been ashamed of us, but guess what? Just like he's ashamed of us, he also has his arms open wide for us to turn around. Come back home, son. Come back home, daughter. My eyes are on you, but my arms are open for you. Come back to me, baby. Come back to me, sweetheart. Come back to me, child. Come back to me. You're my child. I'm here for you. And if you're not his child, that can change right now. Do you know for a fact that you have been saved and that you are his child? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you are saved by the blood of Jesus. Can you answer for certain that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Because if you can't, don't you wait one more second. Don't wait one more second. There's a Holy Spirit asking you right now where you're going to go. Because if you don't know, this is the day. Come forward. Come forward. He's calling to you. Come forward. 
God is also absolutely loving to all. He loves everyone. Some people think that God only loves a certain amount of people. That's not true. I can understand why people think that. We see some people who sin, and we think God doesn't love them. Oh, that's not true. And I can understand why they think that, because there's certain things in the Bible that make it sound like that. And that's He loves all people, but not all that they do. He doesn't love them while they're sinning. Well, no, what it means is he doesn't love what they're doing, and they become like their sin. He doesn't love that. He wants them to come back to him and be obedient and be forgiven for what they are at that moment because they become like their sin. He wants them to be forgiven. He still loves them. He loved them enough to get on the cross. He loved them enough to become like them. But we'll get into that in a moment. He's absolutely loving to all, all people. But that doesn't mean just keep on sinning. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. He's all loving. 1 John. 1 John 4.8 tells us this. And Christians need to remember this. Because sometimes we have a tendency to get so angry at the world and the world of sin, and I get it. I really do. I get mad. I get frustrated. I get so angry at the devil for blindsiding, blindsiding the lost and even other Christians, for making excuses for types of sin, for people who murder, for people who live in sin and sinful ways of life and whatever it might be, for killing babies, for living in sinful marriages and all sorts of other things, or you out of marriage and sin or whatever, and, all sorts of, and lying to others about it, saying that's why God made them, and no, it didn't. But it makes me mad because the devil's behind all of it. It's not the people so much, although they might be behind some of it because they want to live in their sin. I get it. But I'm not angry at them. I'm angry at the lie that the devil has fed them and that they just eat it fully and foolishly. But listen to what it says in 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Well, what does that mean? We're to love everyone? Yes, that's what it means. We're to love everybody. Everybody. Completely. But that doesn't mean when you love everyone completely, you love them enough to, well, just keep on sinning. I love when you sin. You just keep doing it, yeah. Keep beating someone down. I love when you do that. No, it doesn't mean that. Keep lying, because I love you so much. When you lie, you lie so good. Yeah, go on, baby. No, it doesn't mean that. God loves you enough to stop that. How about with you parents out there, when your kid was doing something wrong at home, and you knew they were doing wrong. No, no, no. You do real good when you put a, a, a fork in that little electric socket. That's good. That's good. No, you stop him from that. That's what Jesus sees. He sees you killing yourself with sin. You're putting a, 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 a fork of sin in an electric socket of death. He loves you enough to stop you. Because you know what God also hates? God, I mean, God also does absolutely. God absolutely hates sin. People say, God doesn't hate. You just say that God is love. Yes, but God hates. People think God can't hate. God does hate. God absolutely hates sin. He can't abide sin because God is absolutely perfect. He cannot abide imperfection. He hates sin. Hates it. Hates it. You don't have proof of that. Yes, I do. I have quite a few proofs of that. But let me go to it. Proverbs, turn with me now. Proverbs chapter 6. 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These six things 
the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, he hates pride. A lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Talking about murder. Unborn babies. He can't get more innocent than that. Enough said. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that are swift in running to mischief. A false witness who speaks lies. And he who sows discord among brethren. One who's always scheming, lies, deceit. God hates it. Stop it. Stop it. Those who are causing false teachings in the church, this is what it says. Discord among brethren. Stop it. God hates it. Stop it. Wait a minute. What does this mean? God hates the people. He hates what they become. This makes no sense to me, Pastor. Don't worry, we're getting there. Psalm 11, verse 5. Write it down. Psalm 11, 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and one who loves violence, his, his being God, his soul hates. God hates it. Psalm 5, 5. Those who boast will not stand in your, talking to the Lord, in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. Iniquity is sin. God can't stand those who are working in sin. Now, I'm not talking about people who make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We know that. We know that. We know. But God can't stand those who are working in sin and loving the works of sin. He can't stand it. Proverbs 8.13. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord, we know what the fear of the Lord means, to honor the Lord, to love the Lord, to respect the Lord, to honor him. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. So God does hate. He hates and can't abide sin. Doesn't mean that God hates the sinner and wants to send them to hell because I want you to remember something. We choose where we go. We choose where we go. If someone decides to live a sinful life and not to ask Jesus Christ in the heart, that's not God who sends them to hell, is it? No, we choose where we go. If someone is out there right now and is chosen not to go to heaven when they die, that's up to them, not to the Lord God. We choose that. They choose that. Or how we live, that's up to us. That's up to them. If we are disobedient or disobedient children of God, that's up to us. We choose that. We can't blame the Lord God for that. What does it say in John chapter 8, verse 34? Jesus said something then. John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And God doesn't want you to be a slave to sin. And this is why... We need to remember that God is absolutely just. He's absolutely just and correct in his judgment. He is never wrong. Remember what I said a while ago? I reiterate, he is omniscient. He is perfect. He's never wrong. When we try to judge God, oh, God's so wrong for judging others. No, 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 no. God is the judge, the omniscient, omnipotent. 
He is the almighty, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. Never wrong, never will be. And who are we to judge him? No one. We are the ones that he judges, not the one to judge the judge. Amen? But we, on the other hand, we are absolutely, absolutely lost in sin. We are born sinners. We're born sinners. When we are born, we're born sinners. But we're not lost. We're not lost until the age of accountability. What does that mean, age of accountability? That sounds like a title, what it is. It's a title that people come up with. It means to the age of understanding. The age of understanding right from wrong. In other words, sin. A baby disobeys mom and dad. They know they're supposed to obey. And when a mom says, no, 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 baby, and the baby does it anyway, they know they're doing it wrong, but they don't understand until a certain age. It might be five for someone. For me, it wasn't until I was seven. For some people, it's not until they're 10 or 11. When they understand that if they don't ask for forgiveness for stealing, for lying, for cheating, and they don't ask Jesus Christ to save them from all their wrongdoings, that they're going to go to hell. Some people might be later on in life. I don't know. Everyone's different. But it says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those, it's Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. This is important scripture, so write this down. Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who exchange darkness for light and light for darkness, who exchange bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, who call right wrong and wrong right. You, you know, you've heard that before, right? Aren't we living in a day like that? Mm. And you know, I've quoted these scriptures quite a bit, but they're important for what I'm talking about. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. While we're in Romans, Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. One more from Romans. One more from Romans. You're going to love this. This is one of my all-time favorites. Romans 10, verse 9 through 10. That this is how we're saved, folks. This is how Christ gets us out of this. That if we confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Hallelujah. No longer do you need to be afraid. We can get away from being lost in sin. You may have been born that way, but you can be born again because there is absolutely one way, one way, absolutely one way for absolute salvation. And it can be done from absolute faith for God's absolute grace, his absolute sacrifice from absolute because he absolutely sent himself in the form of his son 
to do what absolutely no one else could do and no one else can do for themselves now. It can only be done from the Lord God. And we can see in John chapter 14, in fact, I'm not going to read it to you today because this is no time. In John chapter 14, and I'm telling you this so you can read it for yourself. In John chapter 14 through the very first half, Jesus read to his disciples, excuse me, spoke to his disciples from verse 1 through 21. He spoke to his disciples how there is no other way into heaven but by him. And he spoke to them how to both Philip and to Thomas how there was no way into heaven but by him, how God sent him. God sent him, his only son, to save them. This is at the Last Supper. And we need to know this. And he was sending the Holy Spirit to help them in their hard times. And if you will read John chapter 4, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go there, but I'm only going to read the very first part. John chapter 14. I'm only going to read the very first, uh, I'm going to read to verse 6. John 14, 1 through 6. It says in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. You know where I'm going, and you know the way. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. For now you for now on you do for, excuse me. For now on you do know him, excuse me. You do know him and have seen him. In other words, if you know Jesus, you know God. If you know God, you know Jesus. But now, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. How many people think they know God, but they don't know Jesus? How can they know God if they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? They don't. There is only one way unto God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And I say again, if you have not asked Jesus to save you, you're not going to go to heaven, and you need to change now. How many people, how many people right now want their families to go to heaven? You can go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. We all want our families to go to heaven. I don't know one person who doesn't want their family to go to heaven. We all want our families to go to heaven. We all want to go to heaven. I don't know one person says, I want to go to hell. I don't know one. Maybe an ignorant wretch. Satan worshiper, but I pray for them too, because I don't want anyone to go to hell, and Jesus doesn't want them to go to hell. But they're not going to go to heaven unless they call unto Christ today, because it could very well be that this is the last day. And if you're watching a home today, if you're watching a home, and you're thinking, I'm going to do that someday, don't wait. This could be your very last second. I pray and hope not. I hope you have many more moments. But folks, you don't know. This could be my last day. It could be yours. I don't know. Do you know how many times I've been at death's door and I thought I was going to be gone? And God said, well, not yet, not yet. But guess what? Because I had Jesus in my heart, I didn't have to worry about it. Because I already have a ticket in my heart. Ready to go to heaven. Do you? I hope you do. I sure hope you do. But if you even have a question, don't wait. Don't wait.
Because Jesus is absolutely perfect, absolutely perfect. Born by natural birth of an earthly mother, but immaculately conception, from an immaculate conception. God, I'm talking about God through the Holy Spirit, blessed Mary, the expectancy of, for the expectancy of Jesus, and Jesus lived, and he preached, and healed, and performed miracles, and spread the gospel beforehand, and then he died. He died a death that he did not earn, but we did. We earned his death. Why did they put Jesus on the cross? Because he loved you. That's why he was on the cross. He was on the cross because of you. He was on the cross because of me. He was on the cross because of every single sin that has been performed before he died, after he died, today, tomorrow, every single day there's a sin, every single moment there's a sin, and that was why he was on the cross, and that is why he then was raised from the dead. He did all that to absolutely pay our debt. We are all born, not perfect, in a world of sin. And then the age of accountability came. And hopefully, hopefully, you've asked Jesus in your heart, and we live. And there's sin. And we realize that without Jesus, he's here to save us. Save us from hell. And then we pray. We pray the prayer of salvation. And we absolutely believe and we accept Jesus into our spiritual hearts. And then we are accepted, absolutely accepted, into the family of God. And because of that, I know, without a shadow of a doubt, I'm absolutely saved with no question whatsoever. And it's one that you cannot lose. And I have a verse. I have a verse to tell you. For Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. Now, I know you're thinking, you're thinking, but how do I know that I know that I know that I'm saved? Because I'm still not perfect. You're never going to be while you're here on earth. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is still absolutely perfect. And the absolutely perfect one lives in you, so you can count not on your perfection, but the perfection of the one who lives within you spiritually. You understand? It's the ticket of him, not you. And because of that, there can be an absolutely new you by Christ who is in you. But that's something we'll talk about another day. We'll talk about the new you that can be built absolutely new within you, absolutely day by day. And we'll talk about that another day. But let us close. Let us close. Let us close as we finish and close with 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 through 6. And while you're looking up 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 through 6, I want to say this again. Are you absolutely sure that there's a new you? Are you absolutely sure that you have been saved by the blood of Jesus? I am. But I wasn't at first. I had to go back a couple times and make sure that I knew that there's a new me. 
but I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm absolutely saved. That greater is he who lives with me than he who's of the world, 1 John 4, 4. I know that I'm absolutely saved and that God is absolutely perfect and there's only one way. I also know that this world is absolutely confusing and that this world tries to absolutely blind you and absolutely confuse you. But take your mind and eyes and, and everything else and heart away from this world. Put your eyes only on Christ. Don't listen anymore to the absolute nonsense that Satan's trying to confuse you with. And listen to the one and only absolute God. That's the Lord, Jesus Christ. Listen what it says in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, as we close. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. This was a testimony given at the proper time. I'm saved absolutely. Are you? Today, we're about to have a baptism for someone who knows now that he's absolutely saved. And he wants to rededicate himself absolutely. And I am so proud of my brother for that. I'm absolutely proud. And I'm proud of all my brothers and sisters who come every week, who give themselves to the Lord as God, through his son, gave himself for us so that they can grow absolutely every day to follow him. It's not easy. It's absolutely a difficult world. But through Christ, it's easier. He's with us absolutely every moment of absolutely every day. Amen? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice for us all. I pray, Lord God, that if there be anyone at all here or at home who questions their salvation, who questions whether or not where they're going, that today, Lord God, you will absolutely take any doubt away, even a shadow of a doubt away. I pray this, Lord, in your name. I pray, Lord God, if there be anyone, Lord, who has any fears in their life, that you take that away. If there be any loved ones that we question, not knowing where they're at with you, that, Lord, we can know and continue to serve you, and you will talk through us and, and talk to them. And, Lord, that today you will speak to them, and we can absolutely, you can absolutely speak to them, and they can absolutely give themselves to you. So you can absolutely save them. I pray this, Lord. Lord, I pray that there'll be no other gods in our life, that you will absolutely be our only Lord and Savior, because you are. And I pray, Lord God, that you will bless what we're about to go through, bless the baptism. And Lord God, I pray you'll bless this day. In your holy, precious name, amen. Amen.